Good morning. What a great way to be about the message of the gospel reaching to the ends of the earth. And I, I hope you'll engage with that. But you might be thinking, uh, I thought Doug was more tan and better looking. Well, he is. <clears throat> I won't argue. Uh, but I'm not Doug. My name is Ryan Toller. And I run the college program here at the chapel. And I've been here about a year and a half. And it has been an absolute blast. And I've come to love the people I work with at this church and really the people of this church, especially my college students. And I see a couple of you guys in here. Good to have you. Um, So yeah, but a little bit about me. I graduated from Columbia International University uh, actually in 2019. So Ram and Rams, if you know them, and graduated with a degree in Bible teaching, which is like a couple people uh, who work on staff here. Um, my, most of my family lives up in South Carolina, some in Chicago, so they're kind of everywhere. Uh, but honestly, one of the biggest changes in my life in the past year was the girl who I thought would say no to marrying me said yes. And we got married back in November, and it's kind of crazy. It's almost a year ago, but here's a picture of that. Oh, isn't that so sweet? Yes, thank you. All the ladies are saying, aw. All the guys are saying, what in the world are you wearing? <laughs> <laughs> I like to call this overcooked carrot is, is the color of this. <laughs> and you might be asking, why in the world would you wear such a, a suit? Well, for most of my life, no matter what church I'm in, uh, through, the, through the years of me growing up, about once a month or twice a month, I've heard the pastor say, happy wife, happy life. And so I wanted to start my marriage on a good note. And so I said yes to an orange suit. Um, but doesn't, doesn't she look beautiful? And she always looks beautiful. Uh, and I, usually what I would do, she'd be sitting right here, if, if she was here, and she's not here today because of a big blunder of mine, actually. Two Wednesdays ago, I woke her up at four o'clock in the morning. I think I said her name's Hannah. I hope I said that. Well, I woke Hannah up at four o'clock in the morning, two Wednesdays ago, and I said, babe, I'm going to fly you to go see your family up in Michigan. And so she gets super excited. She's pumped. We get to the airport. She hands the lady her ID. I hand the lady her airline ticket. And the check lady goes, this isn't the same person. What do you mean this isn't the same person? Uh, Yeah, there's two different names on the ticket and her ID. And my big blunder was I put the wrong name on her airline ticket. And so she couldn't fly. And you might be thinking, how in the world did you put the wrong name? I don't want to talk about it, okay? <laughs> it, was, it was a sore subject. And so with tears, we got back in the car, but we rescheduled it to this past Wednesday. So she is in Michigan uh, today. And I think she's watching on the live stream. So hey, babe. Uh, and that was, uh, that was my first blunder. Uh, my second blunder being something you got to know is actually Hannah wasn't able to be at my graduation either when I graduated from CIU because she was in the Philippines on a missions trip. And so she's like, I want to be there. And I said, I, I will be angry if you come to my graduation and you're not in the Philippines. So she went, but man, she always talks about that she wants, she wanted to be at my graduation so bad. And when Doug called me uh, after I, we rescheduled her ticket, he said, Ryan, can you teach? And I said, of course. I went and told Hannah and Hannah said, oh no, I won't be there. And, and my second blunder was I said, it's okay, babe. You weren't at my graduation either. <laughs> oh, big mistake, big mistake. <laughs> oh, no ill intent. I was just teasing her. Sorry, babe, you're not here. <laughs> uh, but I am, I'm, I am madly in love with her. And I am more in love with her today uh, than I was when I was married about 11 months ago, um, pretty soon here. And so... Uh, but that's a little bit about me. I know our family's watching too. So hey, fam, up in Michigan, can't see you, but you can see me. 
Um, but I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I'm excited to be here. I am excited because of two things. I have, I have come to believe in the person behind this book. And the person behind this book is an all-knowing and all-powerful creator who knows what's best for me. And if he knows what's best for me, then I can bet my bottom dollar that the words he says to me have a lot, have a lot of meaning, have a lot of value to change my life. And in times... And in the times that I really have believed in the person behind the book, and I really believe in the words of the book that they have the potential to change my life, I've come to see really the only outcome is me more like Jesus. When I really believe in the person behind the book, and I really believe in the words of this book, I become more like Jesus. In the times that that's not true, in the times that an outcome is different, it's usually because of an inaccurate view of the person behind this book or an inaccurate view of the words of this book. And so I'm so excited because I truly believe the passage we are studying today has great potential to make me and you more like Jesus. And that's what I want to be. I want to be a changed man. I want to be a man more like Jesus. And so would you remind yourself of that today like I am, that uh, we believe in the person behind this book. And if that person is who he says he is, which I truly believe so, we get a chance to be more like him. So uh, we are going to be in the book of Acts today. So if you got your Bibles, turn there. Um, We are taking a break from Genesis as Dougie Fresh gets better. Hopefully he's back. He's better back next week. Uh, and we're going to be looking in Acts chapter 3. But as you're turning, some context for Acts chapter 3 is basically Jesus who lived a perfect life on this earth and he lived that perfect life so that he could die a perfect death to redeem you back to the Father through your belief in him and your recognition of your sin. That's all happened. He has died, but he didn't just stay dead. He actually resurrected, proving he was the son of God and he, then he ascended back into heaven. All right, and so in Acts, we see Jesus has left, but the disciples have stayed. They might have wanted to go with Jesus, but Jesus said, no, you got to stay. So the disciples, I mean, Jesus leaves, the disciples stay, and the Holy Spirit comes. And when this Holy Spirit comes, he fills the believers. And then these believers start doing miraculous things. There's healings. They're speaking in different languages. The body of Christ is formed, and it's growing. They're sharing everything together. They're eating together. They're praying together. And it is an awesome, awesome time in the redemptive plan of God. And so that's where we're at. And so Jesus has left, the disciples stayed, the Holy Spirit comes, awesome things are happening, okay? And what we're going to see is Peter and John, uh, they are two disciples of Jesus. They are about what Jesus is about, and they're walking. They're walking to the temple. And before they walk in, there is a lame man sitting right in front of the temple. And this lame man, we know he's about 40, and he's been lame from birth, and he sits at this temple every single day asking for money. And I think everyone knew his name, to be honest. I think a lot of people knew him and probably even gave him some coins. But what happens is Peter and John, they they are walking, and they get to him, and Peter's pretty bold for doing this. I wouldn't say you should do what he does, but uh, this man asks Peter for money. And what Peter does, he walks up and says, what you want I don't have, but what I have, I give you. He grabs the guy by the arm, raises his up, raises this man up, and instantly his legs are healed. But he doesn't just stop there. 
He then drops his hand and everyone who was just mouths dropped because a man who they all know was just healed. They're going crazy. Peter says, I didn't heal this man. Jesus did. It, and Jesus is the Messiah that came to redeem you back to the father. And he does this great gospel call to everyone who watched this man get healed. And I had a thought when I was preparing this passage, I thought, why isn't this man healed yet? You know, Jesus has walked by the temple many times. The other disciples have walked by the temple many times. And we know he sits outside this temple every single day. Why isn't he healed? I mean, I think at the age of 12 when Jesus was, or no, when Jesus was a kid talking in the temple, this man would have been 8 or 12 years old. So he, if he's been sitting there every day asking for money, why wouldn't Jesus heal him? And I have this thought, well, and it's not in scripture, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if this happens as, as if one day Jesus is walking to the temple and he sees this man, and maybe the man knew who Jesus was. Maybe he asked him to heal him. But I think Jesus looked at the man and thought, not yet, not yet. I'm going to heal you, but not yet. And why? Why wouldn't Jesus heal him? I think because of this passage. I think Jesus says, uh, to, for me to heal you now will bring me less glory than for me to heal you later. And so uh, this passage it has great potential to make me and you more like Jesus because uh, Jesus even waited to heal this man. And so uh, that's where we're at. Remember, man has just been healed. Jesus does, or Peter does a gospel call to believe in Jesus. And what happens is... Uh, the big dogs walk into the, to the stage. And these big dogs, they're the religious leaders. They're kind of like the principal of a middle school where you're, you're punching around with your buddy. Principal walks in, you're like, and he walks by. Why? Because the principal has authority in the school, right? Well, these religious leaders, they have authority in this culture. And what they do is they go to Peter and they go to John and they grab them and they throw them in prison because they are not about what is happening. And so that's where we're picking up. We are going to be in Acts chapter four, and we're going to start in verse five. So uh, Peter and John, they're in prison. They're being brought out the next day. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Ananias, the high priest was there and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who are of high, of high priestly descent. So we got some big dogs. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? And so we see Peter and John, they are potentially in, in their death trial. There is, a, there is a large possibility, based how they answer this question, uh, they will be hurt because of it, right? And so the, the religious leaders, the big dogs, they're saying, how did this man, how was this man healed? And what does Peter say? He says this, verse 10. He says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. And so Peter is saying, potentially where he might be very harmed, he's saying, Jesus healed this man. Jesus healed this man. And so I think in, in this point in the passage, we see two distinct groups kind of rise up in the narrative. The first, the first group would obviously be, of course, uh, Peter and John. They are disciples. They are what Jesus was about on this earth. They are about now. Why? Because the spirit of Christ dwells within them and, and they want everything that Christ wants, right? 
And, to, and they want that to the degree that they'll, they'll profess Jesus at Pentecost. They'll profess Jesus when a man's healed, and they'll profess Jesus while they're on trial. Uh, that is, that's the first group. The second group are the big dogs, they're the religious leaders. What Jesus wants, they do not want. And we even know, uh, while Jesus was on this earth, they were kind of like a thorn in his side. They tried to trick him, they tried to trap him, and they would try to kill him as well. Right? And so what Jesus was about, they were not. So we got two groups. However, in this passage, I think we begin to see two distinct goals. So we got two groups, and we have two different goals as well. And so uh, what, was, what was the goal that Peter and John were about? Well, I think it's pretty easy to see if they were about what Jesus was about. Uh, and we can see that they really were about the growing of Christ's kingdom. And they do that at Pentecost when they profess Jesus. They do that on their trial when they profess Jesus, right? They want the kingdom of Christ to grow within them and in the lives of other people. I think it's pretty easy to see right now. But what, what is the goal of the religious leaders? What, what is their hope? And instead of, I don't want to just tell you what their goal is. I, I want to read it to you. Uh, this is in Matthew chapter 23. It won't be on the screens, but uh, just listen. This is Jesus' words to the religious leaders while he was on this earth. Okay, this is what he says. The religious leaders, they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulder, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries, and they lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace, and they love being called rabbi by men. And so what are these religious leaders about? They are not about the building of Christ's kingdom, but they are about the building of their own kingdom, right? Uh, they desire for their control to grow. They desire for their name to grow, their renown to grow. And did you catch the words of Jesus? They want it even at the expense of those that they're leading. They will place heavy burdens on the ones they should be leading for the sake of their kingdom growing. And yet, so we got, we got two groups, we have two goals, and now what we're going to see is actually a one obvious truth. And this obvious truth is going to look at these two groups, and they will have to respond to it. They won't be able to toss this obvious truth out of the way. They will have to deal with it, and, and we'll see why. But what, what is the obvious truth? Uh, they won't be able to deny, that they won't be able to push away, and that is that a man has been healed. A man's been healed. And in your mind, you might be thinking, well, why is that a big deal? Uh, Jesus healed a lot of men and women. Uh, why, is, why is this a big deal? Why is this such an obvious, obvious truth? Well, let's read in Scripture why, and we'll see if you catch it. Now, and this is after Peter professes Jesus. He says, Jesus healed this man. It wasn't me, it was Jesus. This is what the religious leaders do. Now, as they observe the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began conferring with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Did you catch it? Why does, this, why does this miracle matter? Let me just read it and we'll walk through it. I'll read it again. It won't be on the screen, but just listen. 
And seeing the man who had been, and this is the religious leaders. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed. They began to recognize them having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. Do you see why this healing matters? Because it is inexcusable. They can't excuse it, right? These religious leaders, they watched it happen. They can't say, oh, the Christians, uh, they lied. They came up with this this fake healing so that a Jesus spike would happen, so that people would believe in Jesus again. They say it themselves, or they really, it says they had nothing to say in reply. They cannot excuse it. But it's not just inexcusable. Let's keep reading in verse 15. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they they began conferring with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all. So it's not just inexcusable. It is undeniable. They even say it is a fact. We can't take a fact and throw it away. This happened and we cannot deny it, right? But that's not all. It's inexcusable. It's undeniable. But let's keep reading. What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. So it's inexcusable. It's undeniable. And it is apparent to all. And when I mean all, I mean everyone in this story. The religious leaders, it's apparent. It can't be excused. It can't be denied. Uh, The disciples, Peter and John, can't excuse it, can't deny it, and it's apparent. And and all the crowd and the man who was healed, uh, it is apparent to all of them. And so we got two groups, and we got two goals, and we have one obvious truth that is standing in front of these two groups. And what we're going to see is actually two different outcomes how we are going to see how these two groups take this obvious truth and what do they do with it, okay? So first, uh, what, do, what do Peter and John do with this obvious truth? Well, I think it's easy to say if we know their goal, their reason for living is building of the, the kingdom of God, then we can bet the outcome of taking of what they're gonna do with this obvious truth is gonna look something similar, right? And so... Uh, I don't want, just want to tell you, I want to read it. Uh, and this is in verse 12 of chapter 4. This is what Peter says to the religious leaders. This is what I think shows how they're going to respond to this obvious truth. Peter says, he's talking about Jesus. He says, there is salvation in no one else. And for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And he's saying, Jesus, this guy named Jesus, the obvious truth of Jesus, the obvious person that healed this man, I can do nothing else but embrace it. I can do nothing else but take this obvious truth and embrace it. And what do I mean by that? I think here's a loaf of bread. Can't wait to eat this for communion again one day. Uh, But this bread, we know that Jesus is actually symbolized as the bread of life. And why? Because many cultures would see bread as the symbol for life, right? Your body was designed to eat this. It gives you life. It sustains you. And that's what, that's what the disciples believed. They believed that spiritually, the person of Jesus, the bread of life, it gave them life, not just after they die, but also back on this earth as well. And so they wanted nothing to do but embrace it. They wanted, they wanted the bread of life to be a part of them, not just, not just outside of them, but inside of them as the Holy Spirit dwells within them. Uh, and uh, they wanted to really believe in the person of Jesus. And, I, and I'm, I'm kind of convinced as well that the disciples knew 
that truth not embraced is truth personally wasted. Truth not embraced is truth personally wasted. And what do I mean? I mean, they saw the person of Jesus. They saw what he did. They saw what he said. And they said, that, that is the obvious truth. Jesus, you are the obvious truth. And to take the obvious truth, to take the bread of life and hide it, uh, it doesn't make sense. We don't want to personally waste Uh, the obvious truth of the person of Jesus. We don't want to personally waste the obvious truth that Jesus healed this man. And so uh, they are going to, after this story, even profess that Jesus healed this man uh, after they leave. And so uh, they want to embrace, they want to really embrace the obvious truth. But uh, but what about these, what about these religious leaders? Uh, What are what are they about? What is, how are they going to respond? So we got, we got two groups, we got two goals, we have one obvious truth, and we know that Peter and John are going to embrace the obvious truth, right? But what about the religious leaders? What are they going to do? And I had the thought, I thought, do these religious leaders really know that it's an obvious truth? Do they really know that they can't deny it, that it's inexcusable, that it's apparent to all? Yes. Why? Because they say it themselves, okay? So this, here's the obvious truth that they can't deny. That's inexcusable. That's apparent to all, right? And you would think that when presented with this obvious truth, they would go over to their goal, which if we remember is the growing of Christ or the growing of their own kingdom. And when presented with such an obvious truth, they would switch it out, Right? They would see that their obvious truth doesn't match the building of their own kingdom and they would, they would attempt to change it. They would attempt to match it, right? And I, as I was reading this passage, I, I recognized as well in, in verse seven, uh, these religious leaders, uh, they add to their problem. Uh, the conundrum they're in of having an obvious truth that looks different than the kingdom they're building, they add to it in verse seven as they ask Peter, who healed this man? Who did this, right? Because we know they can't deny it. And according to Peter's answer, when he says Jesus healed this man, they can't deny it. And now they can't deny who did it. They, they are faced with the obvious truth that this man was healed and it was done by the person of Jesus. And, the, and there's nothing they can do. And you would think again that they would take the obvious truth and they would switch it out. They would switch their goal out, right? It, it's kind of like, uh, say, this is a fictional story, so everyone in your mind say, fictional story, thank you. Okay, so uh, say uh, a week before I proposed to Hannah, okay? Uh, I'm at CIU, I'm walking, the home, I'm walking the halls, and a guy comes up to me and he says, Ryan, Hannah's in uh, her dorm room, and there's a guy in there, and the door's closed. And if you know anything about CIU, being in a room with the opposite gender with a door closed is a big no-no. It's a Christian school. It's, it, you, that does not happen, okay? And so I think, oh, you're lying. I know Hannah. That's not true. And so I keep walking. Another guy comes to me. Hey, Hannah's in her dorm room with the door closed. And so I, I think, fine, I'll, I'll go check it out. I open the door, and I look in, and what do I see is, is Hannah is embracing another guy. And in anger, I shut the door, I go run out into the woods in anger, and for, I just sit there, angry at her, angry at him, and eventually I come back, because I gotta eat food. And so I, I, I go in the cafeteria, I, I open my phone, and I see a text message from Hannah. And it says, you have the wrong idea. That's, that's not a lover, that's my brother. That's your brother? 
Why didn't you tell me? And she's like, because you ran away. But would you say that I should get back on track to proposing with Hannah? Once I found out that's not a lover, that's a brother, I should probably propose next week, right? You'd say, yes, that would make sense. You should do that. I have no red flags not to not propose. It makes sense. I've been presented with such an obvious truth. And say he even takes out his wallet and he, sh- and he shows me his last name is Erfmeyer, which is a little strange of a last name, but that's okay. He says, it's Erfmeyer. Then he shows me family pictures. And I can't deny it. This is her brother. I'd get back on track to proposing. But say, say I didn't. Saying when, when I presented with such an obvious truth that this is her brother, I say, I don't believe you. You came up with all of this to trick me. And I go about at CIU uh, talking bad about Hannah, being angry at her. Would you look at me and say, Ryan, you're being dumb? Yes. Why? Because I had been presented with such an obvious truth that I should then take that truth. I should go over to the way I'm, I'm thinking and living with Hannah, and I should, I should take them out and see, do these match? I can't deny this truth. He, 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 sh- he showed me evidence. But should I change it? Yes, I should change it, and I would, I would propose, right? And that's exactly what our hope is for these religious leaders, that they would be presented with it so obvious they would then change the building of their kingdom to the building of Christ's kingdom. But do they do it? Are they going to do that? Well, let's see. Acts chapter 15. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began conferring with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all all in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. This is where we're going to see how they're going to respond. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. Do they, do they change their purpose? Do they take the obvious truth that they can't deny, that's inexcusable, that's apparent to all, and then allow their goal to change the building of Christ's kingdom? No, they don't. They do not when presented with such an obvious, obvious truth, uh, they are fast to toss it aside for the sake of the building of their own kingdom, right? They care more about the building of their own kingdom than the obvious truth that says otherwise. And so we know the, the disciples are about the embracing of the truth, allowing the truth to be a part of them because they don't want to deny it because truth not embraced personally is personally wasted. But what about these religious leaders? Uh, they choose to hide it. They take the obvious truth and because it doesn't match with their kingdom, they are going to hide it. But they don't just hide it from everyone else. I think it's pretty easy to see that they are going to privately reject it on top of that. And that is their downfall. It is the private rejection and really the public deletion of obvious truth. They are going to seek to delete uh, this obvious truth that a man has been healed and it was done by Jesus from the entire world. Spoiler alert, it's not going to work, but that's at least what, they, what they're going to try to do because their kingdom mattered more than what the obvious truth said otherwise. And maybe, maybe in some of our minds, we're thinking that does not make sense. These religious leaders, uh, they are silly. They are dumb. They, uh, they are not thinking, right? That's like if I, Evan, Evan Height is over here. He's a college student in the college ministry. That's as if Evan, I invited him on stage and I said, I won't because he doesn't like being in front of people. And I said, Evan, tell me something about the world. And Evan says, it's flat. It's flat, 
You really believe that? He says, yeah, I believe that. And so I started a GoFundMe page on my Facebook and I put Evan in a rocket ship made by Elon Musk and I fly him up to space and I'm not just, I'm not just wanting him to see the world. I pay another million dollars and I let him do two laps around the world to show that this world is not flat. And he comes back down and he walks out and I'm smiling, right? And his girlfriend gives him a hug because it's good that he's back on earth. And I say, so Evan, earth is flat, right? And he says, yeah, it is. No, the earth is not flat. He has been presented with such an obvious truth that he should then change the way he was thinking and living about the earth. And for him not to seem silly. And we might be thinking this of the religious leaders. What silly people to be presented with such an obvious truth and yet reject it. And yet, I think all I have to do is think back in the past couple days to see that I've done the same thing. That I have taken the person of Jesus, the words that he said, the actions that he did, and his scriptures, and I have chosen to hide it. I've chosen to, to hide it from the people around me. And we, and in times, we can model the, the religious leaders by taking what we should be consuming, what should be a part of our lives, and we substitute it for something that we think is sweeter. Something that we think we should be eating that, that might taste better, that seems to be more appealing, right? We, we will substitute these two things. But what's true? I googled it. How long can you eat Reese Cups? And the answer came out three months. Kids, don't try it, okay? Uh, Three months, your body will live off of Reese cups. Why? Because your body wasn't designed to eat sugar. It was designed to digest and eat bread, right? But what's true? Every day you continue to eat sugar, your body will slowly deteriorate, right? Every day you're convinced, I can actually live off of this, your body will slowly deteriorate. Deteriorate. It's not like at month three, you go from great to not so great. It, your body will slowly digress. And in the same way, when we substitute what our, what our spiritual bodies were meant to give us life, the person of Jesus, what he said, his scriptures, when we substitute it for something we want, our spiritual relationship with Jesus will slowly deteriorate. Why? Because eating of Reese cups will only produce unhealthy living. And in the same way, uh, the substituting for what Christ's kingdom is for what my kingdom is will produce unhealthy, unhealthy living. And so my question today is, what obvious truth are you hiding from your life? What is the obvious truth according to uh, the person of Jesus, what he said, what he did, the other scriptures, what obvious truth are you hiding? And that obvious truth, it's undeniable, right? It's inexcusable. If you, be- if you have chosen to believe in the words of this book, that they are God's words sent to you, is there a truth in here that you're hiding from yourself and from others? And you might ask the question, well, Ryan, uh, what, do you mean, what do you mean hiding an obvious truth from myself and others? What, what does that look like? Well, I'll just be honest with you. So I've been, been married for about 11 months, and I have hidden the obvious truth from my wife many times in that, in that 
I have been presented with the fact, with the undeniable fact uh, that I am to love Hannah like Christ loved the church. And I am to sacrificially give my life up to her to serve her, right? I'm just really learning all that. It's only been a year, so give me some grace. Uh, but I am, I am learning that every day, right? And that's an obvious, obvious truth that we see in the scriptures. But what do I do? What do I do? I, this is what I do. Uh, when, I, when I gave my life to Jesus, when I believed in Jesus, I took the crown off of my head and I put it on, on Christ. Why? Because I said, Christ, I can't live this life. I've tried it. I fail. I can't do it. I want you to be the master of my life. I want you to determine how I'm going to live, right? Upon belief in Jesus, that's what I did. And when I hide the obvious truth, what I do is I go over to the, the crown I put on Christ's head and I take it off and I really don't take it off. He always has the crown, but I think I take it off and I take that crown off and I put it on my head. And now that the, the crown is on my head, I get to live for my kingdom, which means I get to do what I want to do, which means in terms of the obvious truth of loving my wife, well, I will sit on the couch while she manages the home. I will just sit there while she does much, much of the work. And even though she's worked the same hours as me, I still will hide the obvious truth of serving her, whatever it is, whether it's dishes or I don't know. I, I'm not very good at doing dishes. And I tell myself that and I try to avoid it. But really, that's me hiding the obvious truth from myself. That's me taking the obvious truth of loving my wife well and saying, no, thank you. Why? Because the crown is on my head. And since I'm living for my kingdom, I don't do that type of stuff. Right? And so I hide the obvious truth from myself. But I don't just hide it from myself, I hide it from her. In a home where the love of Christ should be shown to her through me, right? In, the, in a home where the love of Christ should be shown to her through me, all she sees is the love of me shown to me, really through me. And the obvious truth of a man who loves his wife well and serves her is hidden from her. It's hidden from her. And I don't know what, what obvious truth you might be hiding from today. There's a lot. Like in college, I, had a, I hid the obvious truth in, in my words in that at CIU, there's a lot of Christian gossip. It's everywhere. You can talk about who's dating who, who did what. And I fell into Christian gossiping. And I hid the obvious truth that a gossiper does not grow the kingdom of God. And instead, I'd walk into my dorm and I'd say, hey, guess what I heard? Guess who did what, right? And I would say things about people that I shouldn't, I have no business of talking about. And if that person walked in, I, you bet your bottom dollar, I would have shut my mouth, which is a good indicator that I'm gossiping, right? If I, if I can't say it with them in the room, then I probably shouldn't say it. But man, I hid that obvious truth. I did. And I didn't just hide it from myself of all my words being wholesome. I hid it from my roommate, we're in, in a dorm room where he should see a man who wants all his words to be wholesome, all his words to be uplifting. The obvious truth was hidden from him. And he saw a man who just wanted to gossip. And I don't, I don't know what the obvious truth is that uh, you might be hiding from today. Uh, I had the thought of, uh, this is something also that I'm still learning right now, but... Uh, 
We have the obvious, obvious truth in scriptures of being a light. Matthew 6, Jesus says, would you be a city on a hill for all to see? Why? Because Jesus isn't in the business of being hidden. I want you, you you disciples, my children, I want you to be a city on a hill for everyone to see. And is that true? Is, Is that obvious truth true for you in your workplace or your neighborhood? Or have you taken the basket and here's the light of Jesus, uh, like Matthew says, and you, or really Jesus says, and you place that basket on top of that light where your coworkers and your neighbors, they might see specks of light through the cracks of this basket, but they actually don't know the source of the light, right? Have you taken the obvious truth of the person of Jesus talking about him, uh, living like him, and you have chosen to hit it from your neighbor's? Hannah and I recently moved into a condo uh, just across the street, and the family that moved out actually attends this church. And it was one of the most challenging things for me, uh, where in the first week, I had four neighbors knocking at my door saying, man, we miss them. We miss them. (laughs) Are you guys church people too? Was some some of their words. And I was challenged by a family who, li- who lived in my condo uh, that they were a light in their neighborhood. And they weren't about the business of hiding it. I don't, I don't know what obvious truth you're hiding from yourself and from others today. Now, what I could do is you know, I could, I could bring Evan up here and I, I can say, Evan, tell everyone the obvious truth uh, that you are hiding from your today. And he could be really bold. He could say, you know what, Ryan, I'm hiding this obvious truth. And I could say, Evan, uh, you should be about the throwing off of hiding obvious truth and start embracing it like these disciples. Good. Okay. You can sit down. And for me to stop there, for me to stop at stop hiding obvious truth is to sell you short. And why is that? Because uh, we learn this from the religious leaders and that if your kingdom stays the same, your outcome will never change. If your kingdom stays the same, your outcome will never change. And what do I mean by that? If we are living for the sake of our own kingdom growing, then when the obvious truth comes our way, we will, we will take it and we will toss it aside, right? The way you're living points to the kingdom that you're building, And so, what obvious truth are you hiding today is a great, great question. And we need to be asking it. But it's not the first question. The first question is, what kingdom are you about building? What kingdom are you building? And if I can be honest with you, I'm actually convinced uh, that when the crown is on your head, after belief in Jesus, when you try and take it back, even though he still has it, you can have obvious truths in your kingdom. I think you can. And you might say, what do you mean? I think if the crown's on my head and I get to determine my rules, my laws, I could say, you know what? Lying. I don't like lying. I'm not going to lie in my kingdom. Uh, Greed. uh, I'm not really greedy, so that can be a part of my kingdom. But I'm still building my kingdom. Why? Because when an obvious truth comes my way that doesn't match my kingdom, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to toss it aside. And so you can actually have obvious truths in the building of your kingdom, But we don't want to be about the building of our kingdom. We want to be about the building of Christ's kingdom. And how do we do that? 
Uh, We do that by being presented with all obvious truths of the person of Jesus, what he said and what he did. And, And we are going to accept all of them, not pick some and reject others, because we want to be about the building of his. And so is there places in your life where you are building your own kingdom? And I, and I don't want to, I don't want to create gospel confusion. When I, when I trust in Jesus and I give the crown to him, uh, anytime the, the, the father looks at me, he sees Jesus's righteousness, not my own. And so I'm not referring to positionally. Can you leave Christ's kingdom though? Once you're apart, nothing can take you away. Okay, but what I'm referring to is, is the relational side, our relationship with Jesus day to day, uh, when we choose to do what we want, when we choose to build our own kingdom, we slowly deteriorate that relationship. And so, have you been about, in some part of your life, the, the building up of your own kingdom? If so, if so, here's some, here's some steps to change it. First, recognize my outcome reveals my goals. What does that mean? It means the way I'm living reveals the kingdom I'm building. The way I'm living reveals the kingdom that I am building. And you could say, man, I want to build Christ's kingdom. You can say that all day, but the way your life plays out will always point to what's true. And so is it true in parts of your life uh, that you are about the building up of of your own kingdom? We, We need to ask that question. And after we ask that question, uh, ask Jesus to forgive me for attempting to place my kingdom over his. We ask him to forgive us, right? Uh, But that's not all. We don't just ask him to forgive. We ask him to help us in saying, uh, will you change my goals to match yours? We ask him to change my goals to match his. That the building of my kingdom wouldn't be true anymore. Instead, it would be the building of his kingdom. And and this is what's so cool is that uh, when me and you believed in Jesus, really, there was nothing we could do to attain salvation. It was all him. And we had to ask for forgiveness for our sins. And we had to ask him to help us, to enter our life, to live a life that we could never live, right? And that's exactly what we have to do today. Just as you needed help for your salvation, you can bet your bottom dollar that me and you need help to live this Christian life, which is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And so we ask him to to forgive us, and we ask him to help us, and then we seek to be about the embracing of the obvious truth instead of, instead of hiding it. The embracing instead of hiding. And that means when I'm sitting on the couch and I should be, I should be loving my wife well by serving her and I'm not and that crown's on my head, I say, I recognize I'm, I'm living for the sake of my own kingdom and not yours, Jesus. And because of that, because of that, would you forgive me? I want to be about about the living for your kingdom. And would you not just forgive me, but would you help me? Would you help me? Because I needed your help for salvation and I need your help today. And then after that, after you've asked for help and you've asked for forgiveness, my my hope is that I, I would actually then take my feet off of the couch and onto the floor. And that's what That's what it looks like to walk by faith, to walk in the Spirit. It is the accepting of what the Holy Spirit can offer you, but it is also the the walking out, the the engagement with the person of Jesus in that, that even if my body doesn't feel like it, I'm going to choose to love my wife. I'm going to choose to take my feet off of that couch and go, go serve her. 
And so in a second, the, the band is, we are going to enter a song that professes, that screams the obvious, obvious truth of, of Scripture. And as, as we sing this song, would you consider, is there places in my life uh, that I have been about the building of my own kingdom, not his? And that's really shown uh, by the way we're living. That obvious truth you're hiding points to the fact that you might be about the building of your own kingdom. And it's time to take the crown off your head and, and give it back to the one who rightfully deserves it. And so before I, pr- before I pray, I'm gonna ask for the first 15 seconds that we would bow our heads and we would ask our Savior one question. Jesus, have I been about the building of my own kingdom? And then what obvious truths am I hiding? And so that's what I'm gonna ask. For the next 15 seconds, we're asking that question. And then I'll pray for us. Jesus, I, I cannot, I can't go through all the obvious truths that we might be hiding, but I know who can. That's your Holy Spirit. And so as many of us in this room ask the question of, am I hiding an obvious truth that I should be embracing? I trust you to convict our hearts. We needed your help for salvation and we need your help today. In the times we are hiding obvious truth, would you remind us to be about the, the embracing of it because the building of your kingdom is far, far better than the building of my own. In your name. I'm going to ask you to stand with us. Declare this. Your word is all that I need. Your promises wash over me. No other truth I see. No other truth I see. Sing that again. Your word is all that I need. Your promises wash over me. No other truth I see. No other truth I see.
with us, whether you're here in the room or if you're in your living room at home, really glad that you took time to do that. I hope we will go in the power of the Spirit, that we will be, He will help us recognize those obvious truths we may be missing. Um, and if you're online, if you're at home, stick around for the Q&A. Ryan can answer any questions or maybe uh, talk a little bit more about that if you have any. Uh, do the Q&A. If you're in the room, you can catch that a little bit later. I hope you have a great rest of the Sunday. God bless.